This is Daryl Wood, host of Run to Win, the Daryl Wood Show on Faith Talk 1500. First, let me say this show is your show. That's why no matter what I discuss or which guests I interview, your input is valued. If it's in the news, on TV, or at the movies, whether political, social, economic, or whatever, at some point I'm talking about it on Run to Win, the Daryl Wood Show, Monday through Thursday from 4 to 6 p.m. on Faith Talk 1500. Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Hey, wait a minute. What's the name of your church? Real Life Christian Church. Real life. Get real with another edition of Think About It. Real life messages from Pastor Dennis Rasper from Real Life Christian Church. And now, let's listen to the message from Pastor Rasper. So today, part three in this family series, and today we're going to look at um, the family, Christ, and his church in Ephesians 5, the family modeled after Christ and his church. And if our families model themselves after Jesus Christ and his love for his church, hey guys, we got everything going for us. So we're going to go to Ephesians 5, 22, wives submit to your husbands. Isn't that countercultural today? But here's the key, as unto the Lord. See, that's the key. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church's body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, see, we model ourselves after Christ and his relationship to the church. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their own husbands in everything. And so the model is Christ and his church. And women wonder, they wonder what this means. Do I have to submit to my husband's every whim? Of course not. But here's how we have to see this whole submission thing in verse 22. As unto the Lord, wives submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. And then you go to verse 24. Now as the church submits to Christ, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. As the church submits to Christ, who's the church? It's all people who love the Lord for their life he gave us. And here, well, you got to ask, well, why does the church submit to, why do we submit to Christ? You know, my, in my own mind, I didn't look at any theology book for this. I just, I just think to myself, I submit to Christ. We, we as believers submit to Christ because he knows everything. He knows the future. He knows where this is going. Why not submit to him? <laughs> and he loves you perfectly. He knows where this is going. He knows how to get you through the whole thing. And he knows your past. He knows everything that affected your past and how it affects you today in the present. He knows you better than you know yourself, and he's got perfect love. So why wouldn't we submit to Christ? Love motivates everything he does for us. I think about Moses, and Moses was the leader of Israel. Boy, do I love this story. He was the leader of Israel, and in Exodus 33.3, God says to Moses, Go up to Canaan, the land flowing with milk and honey but I'm not going to go with you because you're a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. So what God just said to Moses is, there's the promised land, land flowing with milk and honey. You go to the promised land, but I'm not going to go out front of you anymore. I'm not going to lead you anymore because God used to lead him by a pillar of cloud during the day, pillar of fire at night. And God says, I'm not leading you anymore. You're a stiff-necked, stubborn people. I don't want to go with you. I'll get you to the promised land. I'm going to send an angel. Now Moses doesn't say, okay. Moses says, I don't want an angel. This is bold. I want you. 
and I'm not going. And you got to read on. He says, I don't want an angel. I want you. I'm not going unless you lead. And he just sits there and he parks himself until God says, okay, I don't want this church to go anywhere unless God leads. I don't want to go anywhere in my personal life or my family life unless God's out front. There's a very precious passage. This is where I want to be, folks. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 21. Through Isaiah, God says to the people of Israel, whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. One more time, whether you turn to the right or to the left, your, your, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. Man, that's what this kid wants. I'll tell you, that's what I want. I want, as I walk, I want to hear that voice behind me saying, this is the way, this is the right path. Walk in that right path. I want to be directed by God. The reason you submit, ladies, for you, is because God commands it. And you have a girlfriend, and your girlfriend says to you, you submit to your husband, you're living in the dark ages. Come on. Why do you do that? What you do, while she's talking, you kind of open your Bible, and you flip to um, Ephesians 5, and you show her verse 24, and you say, look, Lisa, if Lisa's her name, now as the church submits to Christ, you see, you can point it out, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything, and you say it's God's command, and God has the better plan than I have. He's got the better plan, because God established authority. Without authority, God knows there's chaos. I mean, in the whole Bible, authority in the church, the three major institutions in the church, 1 Timothy 3, elder leadership. Romans 13, in the nation, God established governmental authority. And in the family, in Genesis 3.16, where God says to the woman, your desire will be to control your husband, but he will rule over you. And here in Ephesians 5.22, you know, God established authority in the home, in the family. God knows, man, without authority, you know, you're just going every different direction. There'd be chaos without headship. And he's right. And this book is his perfect will for our lives. And here's what I know. I know that submission may be the toughest thing that ladies struggle with. And that's a good thing. And it's not only ladies struggling with that sin, it's anybody struggling with any sin. And I pray, folks, that you struggle with sin. I pray you fight with yourself. I pray there's tension inside of you to do God's will, because that sends a message to God when you struggle with sin. Because you're saying to God, I know that you're righteous, and the path that you have me on is the right path. And I don't want to walk on that path, and the path you want me to walk is the right path. And I'm struggling with that. And you tell God, you're never wrong. To be wrong is impossible for you. And I want to be on that path, but I'm fighting it. And I know how much you love me. And the Father sees you struggling to obey him because you love him and his son, Jesus Christ. He sees your heart and he hears you struggling in prayer. You're saying, Father, I know your will, but this is so tough. And I am so weak. You need to pray like that. Just saying, God, I want to walk on your path and he's going to hear you. He's going to give you what you need. I said, okay, Father, there's areas in my life where um, 
I'm sinning and I'm not honoring you. And I need, I, I need the Spirit to reveal that. And now I'm going to struggle with that sin. I'm going to struggle with that. And you guys um, pray that same prayer. Struggle with it. That honors God. I want to talk about submission in general. It's not for just ladies. We're all called to submit. And I've been studying Matthew's gospel. And when I study, I, you know, I want to study in my own personal Bible study. I, I got to study a gospel along with all the other stuff I study because I want to see Jesus. The whole Bible points to Jesus, but I want to see Jesus' reactions. I want to see what he says. I want to see his heart. And so I read a gospel or study a gospel. And I'm looking at Matthew chapter 5. Verse 38 in his Sermon on the Mount. And remember, we're talking about we're all called to submit. And Jesus said in 538 in Matthew, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And that, that's the Mosaic law, Leviticus 24, 20, Exodus 21, 24, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. That the punishment doesn't exceed the crime. That's not too little, it's not too much. The punishment fits the crime. And that's a good law. But then Jesus said, and he took the authority to interpret that law, that eye-for-eye, tooth-for-tooth deal. And he said, but I tell you, don't resist an evil person. If somebody strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also and submit to that striking. Okay, turn the other one, hit the other one too. The son wants to sue you and take your tunic, that's your inner garment, so you can have it. You can take my coat as well. Your son forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Soldiers, Roman soldiers could tell a Jewish person, a, a citizen, you know, carry my pack for a mile. If he gives you his pack, say, I'll carry you two miles. And submit to that, see. And when you think about that, there's a few people out there saying, this submission thing grinds against what's inside me. And John MacArthur's commentary or study Bible calls that the law of non-retaliation. But look at the level Jesus wants to get you to. This is a tough pill to swallow. 221 First Peter. To this you were called. You were called by God to this. Now, what were you called to by God? Okay, to this you were called. Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his death. So you were called to follow this example of Christ. He committed no sin, no deceit was found in his mouth, so he's perfect. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. The law of non-retaliation, the law of submission. He submitted to all the stuff they threw at him. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. And to that you were called. Because Christ left you an example. Let's go to Ephesians 5. Wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord, but the husband's got to make it palatable. Look at Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And that word gave himself up is a very special word in Greek, par edoken, and it means to surrender yourself. He surrendered himself to death. He gave himself up. He surrendered. Had all power. Could have blown him away. But he surrendered himself for his beloved bride, his church. I've seen a few crime dramas where a dad turns, turns himself over to the police. He says, I did it. 
and he fabricated, he, I did it, not my son. My, my boy didn't do this, I committed this crime. And he fabricates some story about how he did it. He signs the confession. The detectives know that he didn't do it and that his son did do it, but he gave himself up. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He surrenders himself, he sacrifices himself for the sake of his beloved bride, the church. That's how much he loved her. His whole ministry was going toward Revelation 19, 6 and 7. I'm going to talk a lot about Jesus now because he's what it's all about. Revelation 19, 6 and 7. I submit to you that his whole ministry, his life, his death, his everything, moved toward Revelation 19, 6 and 7. This is what it was all about. I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters. And like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God reigns. John, who wrote Revelation, heard all these voices. Hallelujah, the Lord our God reigns. Let's rejoice and be glad and give him glory. Now look at this. For the wedding of the Lamb has come. The Lamb is Jesus Christ. He's about to be married. There's a wedding. And his bride, he calls us, his church, his beloved, his bride has made herself ready, fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. And so Jesus, this picture is Jesus, standing in his kingdom, and there's his bride, acceptable to him for eternal life. And Jesus just embraces his church. And again I say, the Son of God looked forward to and lived and died for that, for his bride, who is everyone who trusts in him. We call Revelation 19 the marriage feast of the Lamb, Jesus to his bride. Listen, Jesus had feelings. And I believe from eternity, he waited eons and millennia. And he came to this earth and gave himself up for her. It all began in Luke chapter 2. She wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. He came from heaven to earth for his bride. For that moment, Revelation 19, he came from heaven to earth, folks. I, I can't even imagine how perfect heaven is. They came from heaven to earth. I can't even imagine that. You can't even imagine that. I get a hold of the Father's love here, you know? Our sin left us eternally condemned, but God the Father in his love made a way out. His Son, see the Father's holiness demands that we live. If you're going to go to heaven, if you're going to escape hell, the Father demands that we live a perfectly righteous, holy life without sin, or that somebody represents us and lives that perfectly holy, sinless life on our behalf. God's holiness demands that we die a blood death, a blood death for our own sins, or somebody else dies that blood death for us. And Jesus did all that because everything was moving toward Revelation 16, the marriage feast of the Lamb. I go to Luke 22, the end of his life. Luke 22, I'm going to read in um, verse 41. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and he prayed, Father, if you're willing. This is Jesus Christ, overwhelmed with sorrow. Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. And, and yet not my will, but yours be done. He's submitting to the will of the Father. And then an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, get that, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat 
was like great drops of blood falling to the ground. So I looked that up in a commentary, and it talks about how your smallest blood vessels are called capillaries, and how when there's intense pressure, internal pressure like stress inside you, that's happened to people. But look how it happened to our Lord. That internal pressure forces the blood through the walls of the capillaries, and it mingles with the sweat. And if you could see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, you would see beads of red sweat all over his body. I mean, his prayer for his church was that intense. He's praying for his father to give him everything he needed for this ordeal. And what was in his heart? Revelation 19. There's his bride dressed in white linen, and they're acceptable. That's what his life was about. Revelation 19, 6, you know, hell. Hell has two aspects to it. You know, one aspect of hell is physical torment. Some people don't like that idea, but the Bible spells that out. One aspect of hell is physical torment. The other aspect of hell is separation from God or abandonment by God. Tremendous loneliness. And Jesus experienced both. He never went to literal hell, but but the physical anguish, the torment that he experienced before and on the cross, he went through that physical torment. Then he hung on that cross and... The lights went out, the sun went out, and God's pouring out his wrath on his son. And during that six hours, he's pouring out his wrath on his son. I want to tell you, he, Jesus, he, he abandoned his son. God, the only, the only person, the only human being God ever abandoned, God the Father, is his own son. He is going through torment like no one will ever know. And he knew what hell was like. He didn't go to literal hell, but he knew what hell was like. And why did he do it? Revelation 19, 7. Let us rejoice and be glad and give, give glory to him for the wedding of the Lamb. The marriage feast of the Lamb has come and his bride is made ready. Woo. Great stuff. That's how much Christ loved the church. That whole scenario is to tell you and to explain to us 25, Ephesians 5, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I could never attain to that love. It's impossible. I've fallen sinful nature. You can't attain to that love. But I'll tell you what, we can move that direction. Because when your wife senses, guys, that you love her as much or more than yourself and your love even, even comes a little bit close to the love of Christ for his church, I want to tell you something. Your, your submission is no problem. You know, submission is one of the most beautiful things God ever made. And we make it ugly. I want to tell you, when, when you love your wife as Christ loved the church, she's going to respond. She's going to respond. And there's going to be a give and a take, and a give and a take, and a give and a take, and a give and a take. It works so well. It is so beautiful. God only creates something beautiful. God doesn't create ugly. And that's what the culture makes of submission, something ugly. It is so beautiful because it's God's way. And I pray that you work hard at that, moms and dads, and your kids see you. You model it before their eyes. Ephesians 5, 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy. This is the, this, see, to make her holy, cleansing her by washing with the word through, washing her with water through the word. So he will, so he can present her to himself on the day of judgment as a radiant church without stain, wrinkle, or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Jesus did what he had to, to present 
his bride, you and me, his church, to himself and his father on the day of judgment, I'm quoting now, radiant, no stain, no wrinkle, no other blemish, but holy and blameless. You can have no blame when you get to heaven. Nobody can blame you. So pretend you're at the gate of heaven. Nobody can ever point to you or condemn you or blame you for any sin. You are acceptable to the Father. And folks, I got to tell you, that has to be the priority of every mom and dad here. Above all else, to present your family acceptable to the Lord. And how, how, how? It's back here in verse 26. Present her holy, cleansing her by washing with water through the word. And to present her blameless. How do you present her blameless? You constantly put that family in the atmosphere of the word of God, which cleanses us through washing with water by the word. Folks, it points us to the only way to heaven. You got a burdened conscience that tells you you're forgiven. It tells you how God wants you to live in a sinful world. And the devil does not want you into the word of God, man. He's going to throw everything he has at you from keeping you to get into the word. But that's how you present your family, acceptable to God. And I'm not boasting about this. I'm thanking God for this priority, folks. But the biggest priority of my life and Cheryl's life, both of ours together, for our kids and our grandkids and every generation thereafter, is to present them acceptable before God on the day of judgment. No one in my family will ever, ever be condemned at they stand, as they stand at the gate of heaven. Not one. That has been the priority of my life. That's been the priority of my wife's life. I pray for those kids to meet a Christian spouse the first time around. I pray they're never going to fall in love with someone who's not a believer in Jesus Christ. And I pray that generationally down to when Jesus Christ comes again. I want everyone in our generations to, to be acceptable for heaven. And when that's your number one priority in your family, I'll tell you what, God will work the other stuff out too. He will. That's your number one priority. Your family's going to be very blessed. Verse 31. And here Paul quotes Genesis 2, 22 to 24. He says, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. Now, when it says leave mom and dad, it simply means that your wife or your husband becomes your first priority, okay? And we get into this whole one flesh deal. Listen, this message is about the family finding its identity in the relationship between Jesus Christ and his church. And when you and me placed our faith in Jesus Christ, we, were, we became so identified with Christ, we in a real sense became one with him. He died. Galatians 2, it's just as if we died. We are that one with him. He rose. That guarantees our resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, we are that one with him. God the Father gives us his righteousness. Isaiah 62, when God the Father tells husband and wife to become one flesh, he's saying, be like Christ and his church. When God told Adam and Eve to become one flesh, of course, part of that was sexual intimacy. But becoming one flesh is a whole lifelong marriage, man. You get to know your husband. You get to know your wife so well. And that takes some sacrifices. This is what one flesh is all about. That you develop common, biblically rooted values. And you have to work at that. 
1 Peter 3, 7, in the words of the King James says this, live with your wife, and it works both ways, according to knowledge or understanding, see? And we work at that. Live with her or him according to knowledge. You've got to get to know everything about him. Get inside him. Understand him. And to do that, what do you have to do? What do you have to give up? Your rights. You will never be one flesh unless you give up your rights. You've got to be willing to give up your rights. And see, that connects us with Jesus because that's exactly what he did. He came from heaven to earth and sacrificed his rights as God during his time on earth. I can, listen, I cannot tell you how beautiful that is. It's like the biblical, when biblical submission works, it is so, so beautiful. When one flesh is in place, it's almost sacred to be so one with one person. According to God's plan, it is so right to be so one with one person. What a treasure that is. Listen, if you're here today and you still think you deserve heaven because you've convinced yourself that you're a good person, no, the Word of God says no to that. Salvation is a gift. It's pure grace. You gave nothing to that. And that's the only way God gets the glory. If you could offer God one thing, God doesn't get the glory, you get the glory. And he designed salvation so no man can boast, so he gets all the glory. And so folks, when you confess your sins and accept Jesus' perfect work for you, just think what God gives you. It involves this, confessing your sins, accepting Jesus Christ's perfect work for you. And here's what the Bible says, Romans 5.1. The war is over. When you confess your sins and you receive Jesus Christ, the war is over and peace with God is established. Think About It is sponsored by Real Life Christian Church. Real Life Christian Church meets in Endeavor Middle School, 22505 26 Mile Road, just west of North Avenue in Ray, Michigan. Sunday service starts at 10 a.m., Visit us on the web at rlcc.us. Never miss a single message from Pastor Rasper. Just go to faithtalk1500.com and download the Real Life Podcast. And until next week, may God's Word do a work in you. Real Life Christian Church. Get real.